Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Come on, let's put your hands together for Jesus this morning. Hey man, I'm glad you came to church today. You're going to be glad you came to church today. You guys ready for the word? All right, we are walking, crawling through the book of Philippians, and every week I've said it, we're in first gear, four-wheel drive low. We're just kind of crawling through things, and somebody said, how long are we going to be there? I said, I don't know. And I got to tell you, I told this to somebody the other day, I'm having more fun preaching, and I've been preaching for 15 years, but having more fun just walking through this and just letting the text preach the text. And, and as I got to the passage route today, I wanted to approach it a little bit differently, so we're going to kind of jump into that. And the book of Philippians is how Christians, people, and Paul was writing to people living in the southern Greek city of Philippi, how you can have a Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered life of joy. Now, I know there's some people out there that just want to be Eeyore, leave them alone, they want to be that way, that's fine. But most people that I know, they want to be happy. They want their life to be full and filled and fulfilled and full of contentment enjoy and, and that's what this whole book and what this whole process is about how you and I can have a life of joy here's the deal the world will tell you do what you want when you want with who you want and that's what will make you happy but the reality is the consequences many times of those choices leads us to the exact opposite and a lot of just guilt grief regret and so Paul's writing this letter for even to you and I how we as believers and followers of Christ can have a life of joy. Last week, we landed in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. I spent some time talking about how the translations were developed and acted more like a history teacher than a preacher, but that's fine. So I want to pick up there, verse 12, because this week builds on top of that conversation. Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you, and now that I'm not there, now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And I, I talked about how some translations translate that different and it can even, it can take on a different essence or can take on a different meaning. Some of the older translations say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and we talked about, it's okay to just kind of wrestle with, with salvation and was I really saved and, and so on and so forth. If you missed that, you get it on our podcast, on our YouTube channel, you can catch it on our website. So I want to I just jump right there. Verse 12 where he says, to work hard to show the result of your salvation. And I would say, Paul, that's a, that's a tough ask. That's a big ask. You know what I'm saying? It almost feels like God is saying, now that I've saved you, now that you became a Christian, go get your stuff together. If you're a Christian now, you need to act like it. And maybe some of you have even felt like that, like once you were saved or you've heard somebody tease that or maybe somebody tried to manipulate. Well, you need to act. I, I, I totally get that. So Paul immediately, after verse 12, follows with a very powerful statement that we're going to drill into and kind of flesh out a little bit today. So basically, God saved you, okay, when you did that. When you were saved, he gave you his spirit. Remember, it's a, a trinity God, God the Father in heaven, on the throne. I don't think he's ever left. Jesus is at his right hand at any time in the Bible where somebody says, I saw God, I believe they saw Jesus who is the, the physical representation of God. And then 
There's the third part of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit, the breath, the essence of God. If you're ever in the room, like, whoo, boy, God is in this place. What you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit, which is a part, the third part of God. That's what you're experiencing. And so when you are saved, you get a measure of the Holy Spirit. So out of your salvation, now that you're saved, work out of that salvation and work hard to show the fruit of being saved, okay? Philippians 2.13, that's a, that's a big ask because it's almost like I saved you, go get your stuff together. Then Paul says this, for God is working in you and he is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now that's good news because now not only did he save me, but now he's helping me to grow. He's helping me to figure out what this Christian life is and what my spiritual journey is about. So three things in this verse, and if you've heard me preach more than, preach more than three times, you probably already figured them out. But there's three things that kind of jump at me out of this verse. The first one is that God is working in me. And I'm gonna go through these pretty quick because I wanna get to the second half of our conversation here in just a second. But God is working in me. Thank goodness. I am not who I used to be. And I'm also not who I'm gonna be. God's still working in me. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is is working in me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patiently must be. He's still working on me. Come on, where's my 80s people at? Woo! Yeah. This is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, the Ephesian church of what happens when you get saved. He says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. Here he says this, and when you believed in Christ, when you surrendered your life to Christ, he had identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit that he promised long ago. Okay, now I don't wanna get caught up into how much the Holy Spirit and what about the baptism? That's not the point. The point is, when you are saved, that's the Holy Spirit convicting and calling and pulling you in and you get a measure God seals you with his Holy Spirit, all right? That Holy, that same Holy Spirit that begged me and called me to come into relationship with God now starts working on me. I have to put some work in, work hard to show the fruit of your salvation, but God also gives me the Holy Spirit, okay? Here's, here's, here's the problem. We're a little bit impatient. Hurry up, God, if you could fix me, <laughs> you know, so I don't have to deal with all those issues. And this is really what I wanna kind of hone in on and drill on today. But let me quickly kind of go to point two and point three. So God is working, number two, God is giving me a desire to obey him. God's working, now God's giving me a desire to get better. A couple of things that we're giving is in present tense. I mean, when I got saved, he didn't give it all to me then. It's daily, it's active. It is in the present tense that today God is giving me a desire to get better. Today, God is helping me to grow and get better. So that is in the present active tense, okay? Also means that God is active in my situation. If God's giving me, and that's in the present tense, that means whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, trial, celebration, good thing, bad thing, God is active in your situation. <laughs> One other thing. Because of sin, I was separated from God. I didn't have relationship with God. And salvation through Jesus on the cross, salvation fixed my relationship issue. I was apart from God and I was made right 
with Christ, or now I'm in right standing. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Okay, so careful how I word this, but Jesus fixed my relationship issue with God when he saved me. The Holy Spirit is fixing my sin issue. One God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, okay? Jesus, when he died on the cross, allowed me now a path that I could be in relationship with God. So Jesus fixed my relationship issue with God. Now the Holy Spirit that is in me is helping me fix my sin issue, okay? So number one, God's working in me. Number two, God's given me the desire to please him. Then this leads right to point number three, that God is empowering me through his Holy Spirit. God's empowering me to get better. God's empowering me to do more. So it's not, okay, well, you got saved. Go figure all your stuff out. That's, that's not how this works. I'm, I'm a baby Christian. I step into relationship. He gives me his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is giving me the desire. And he's also empowering me and helping me. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is gives me the power to overcome temptation. You have a choice. We ain't robots. Adam and Eve had a choice when they bit into the fruit. You and I, I, I would assume, if you're a Christian, you've experienced this, th- there's a thing, there's a choice. Do I have this conversation, not have this conversation? Do I look at, do I do this, do I engage? And the Holy Spirit puts his thumb on and says, don't, don't, don't do that. That's the Holy Spirit empowering me to overcome temptation. Now, I got a choice. The Holy Spirit wants to help you overcome temptation. And secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers me to make a contribution to the church. Love this idea that the church is a puzzle. And every one of you are a piece that fits in the puzzle. And without your piece, we have an incomplete picture of what the church could be. And the Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift. Never heard that before? Next month, we will have growth track in step two. We talk about the spiritual gift. We actually help you identify your piece of the puzzle, like God wired you to to make a contribution. The Holy Spirit's empowering me to make a contribution to the kingdom. Now, I know I've used this illustration a lot. It comes up about once a year. So some of you have been for a long time. You're like, here we go again. But if you're new, it's the best thing next to sliced bread. So just, just bear with me. My dad's parents, Bill and Ina Jo Kellogg, both of them have gone on to be with the Lord. You hear me talk about Daisy. That's where they were from, where their house was from. My mom now lives there at Daisy, but my grandparents were grandparents at a very young age. I think their first grandchild was born when they were 37 or 38. That's young, amen? Come on, old people. Y'all better help me out right there. I'm 47, and that's a long way off. They were 37, 38 years of age by the time they had their first grandkids. So what does that mean? It means they had some energy <laughs> that older grandparents just don't have, right? Means they had some capacity. They certainly had the desire. My grandmother, boy, when that first grandbaby came along, she was bonkers. She spoiled all of us absolutely rotten. My grandparents were very present in our lives. There were a lot of weekends that if not all five of us, there's my brother and I, my dad, okay, was my world, my dad, and then my uncle, my dad's brother, there's three of those kids. So there's a total of five grandkids, three boys, two girls. There's a lot of weekends that all five of us ended up at Daisy. We had a girl's room that the girls slept in, did their clothes changing, and then there was a, a boy's room. And it was just awesome. It was awesome. So on Friday night, we would end up in my grandparents' den. My granddad had his reclining chair. My grandma sat in her reclining chair, and there was a TV, and I was always as close as I could get. You know, boy, you're going to go blind. 
Dust the glasses. I sat too close to the TV. Thank you very much. I don't even know if that had anything to do with it. All right. And so on Friday night, Waylon Jennings' voice would come on. Just some good old boys. Never meaning no harm. Where's all my Dukes of Hazard people at up in here? They just don't make TV that good anymore. You know what I'm saying? Did you flash? I love it. Good day. Love it. Good day. Where's that Carly? Uh-huh. So on Friday night, we'd watch Dukes of Hazard, And Saturday night, well, I searched the world over and thought I'd found true love. You met another and you were gone. Hee-haw, right? <laughs> Thank God for RFD TV. You know what I'm saying? You can watch reruns of hee-haw. And so we'd sit there and my grandma, we called her Gran. She absolutely loved popcorn. So we'd have had dinner hours ago and we'd been there watching the Dukes of Hazzard, hee-haw, or Fantasy Island, the plan, the plan, whatever was on. And, and she, she would say, do you kids want some popcorn? Which meant she wanted popcorn and we might get some, right? And so if I close my eyes, and some of you can do that. And so my grandparents are both gone. My brother and I inherited their house. We've kind of remodeled it. Even this past weekend, Thursday and Friday and Saturday, Jerry, Kayla, and I got to go to Daisy, and we were staying at my grandparents' house. And I, I, I just, there's so many things about that house that trigger those memories. And like even today, I can still just kind of close my eyes, and I can hear her opening the cabinet and getting out the pan and putting it on the, on the stovetop. And then and I, can, I, I, can, I can smell the smell, right? And so I can hear her pouring the oil in, and then after you pour the oil in, then, then this is what you would hear. Right? And then you set it back on the stove and you put the lid. I remember here, I, like it just brings back memories for me. You let that warm for a minute. And then, pop, 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 pop. And she called us Suge. And she'd say, Suge, do you want salt on your popcorn? And yeah. And she called my grandfather's name was George William, but he went by Bill. And she called him, Bill! <laughs> Bill, he wants some popcorn? And he, and he always called her baby. No, baby, I'm, I'm good. And like, that just brings up great childhood memories for me. Today, we use this. It's all right. Not the same. Can I get an Amen. Now, I will tell you, this is a legit popcorn. Acts 2, um, not as in terms of the Bible, but Act 2, it probably has an anointing on it. That's olive oil in there, people. And this is the kettle corn, and it is too legit to quit, baby. But it's not the same. It's not, and I don't want to talk about how microwave popcorn has interacted our lives in, in particularly interacted our theology. Did anybody ever try to make microwave brownies? Anybody? I mean, is that even, that's like, uh, uh, uh. there's some things that had not to be microwave. Raw fish, <laughs> yeah, and brownies. Those two things, you know, but we're such an instant generation. Kids today will never understand the race to the bathroom during commercial breaks of your favorite TV show, right? Pause button. There wasn't no pause button. You had two and a half minutes, and if multiple parties had to go to the bathroom, you's in trouble. 
Somebody was going to have to get caught up when they got back in the living room. Pause. I don't know what that is, right? So this is how society in our instant generation that we are has interacted with our theology because we read stories about Jesus. I'm in Matthew right now. Even yesterday I was reading in Matthew chapter nine, there were three instant miracles. He healed the man instantly. He brought a little girl back to life instantly, okay? And so we read these stories over and over and over where Jesus is instantly healing people. Granted, there's a few occasions in scripture where Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest or go dip in the pool. And the Bible says while they were going, but the vast majority of Jesus' miracles were instant. They were, they were instant. And so we read those stories and then we do our best to pray. And we do our best to ask others to pray for us. And God, do for me what you did for the blind man. Do for me what you did for the lame man. And we want God to heal us instantly But sometimes, and what I've discovered many times, that's just not how our story goes. And as I was praying over this message, I was praying over God's working in us, he's giving us, he's empowering us. I wrote this down in my notes. Don't despise the process. Because sometimes we get so frustrated with God. Just fix it already. Just just fix it. Because in our struggle with sin and our struggle with issues in our life, whether it be depression or addiction, or, there's so many times that God could just fix it. But for most of us, that's not our story. So, and in a tip, I want you to see, hopefully, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, where God's working, God's giving, God's empowering. I want, I want, to, I want to see that come alive today in some stories. And I want you to put some faces to Philippians 2, Chapter 13. So I'm going to invite a couple of people to the stage and I'm going to walk through their process. Don't despise the process. So Darren, if you would come on up. Miss Jerry, come on up if you would. You guys give them a big hand of love. Woo! Today, by the way, is National Pastor's Wife Appreciation Sunday. Y'all give Miss Jerry some love. Next Sunday will be National Drummer Sunday or something. You'll be fine. Right. Every Sunday. <laughs> Every Sunday. By the way, he's not done. I don't want you to hear perfection up here. Okay? He's still working on me. He's still working in their lives. And so what I want you to hear is I'm not who I used to be. I'm not where I used to be. So back in December, Darren got his seven-year sobriety chip from AA. I got to be at that meeting. I cried through the whole thing like a baby. I love you so much. <laughs> For Jerry's story, there's not so much a chip as there was, and just not to go too in depth, uh, but when she was a child, she was sexually molested by somebody who's not a family member, okay? And then led into PTSD, and after Landy was born, bipolar and postpartum and all that, to even to the point where it attempted suicide. And so there's no chip for that. It's just walking with God through years and years and years of just walking out that healing. And for you and I that are here listening, there's, this is potential, this is hard. This is hard. Like when I asked her and I asked him if they would do this, I started the conversation with, do you love your boy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How much you love BK? And she always like, what do you want? 
You know, he hadn't figured that out yet. <laughs> and so what we're talking about is not the finer things of life. It's the chapters of life we honestly don't want to talk about. We wish the new you didn't know the old us. And so I personally appreciate your willingness to come through, even at times push through the tears. Because here's the thing, Darren and Jerry both know the grace and the commission of the gospel. That if there's a chance that if our conversation today helps at least one person not cry the tears, wrestle the struggle, give you hope in your journey, God didn't just heal them and go, okay, go on with your life now, it's good. He healed you, he walked you through the process so that you can help one more, that you can reach behind you and help someone out. So I, I just, I've already given them questions and, and I wanna tell you two, I know we've already had first service, very powerful, it's awesome. Don't try to duplicate, you know what I'm saying? This is a whole new crowd. Their issues are a whole lot worse, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> At least they're self-aware. All right, so I just want the whole, God, just guide this conversation. Give Darren, give Jerry just the words for this moment, for this conversation. Not be so concerned about, did I say it right? But Father, I pray that you lead us in this conversation in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. So here's the first question, Darren, I wanna ask you is, in your process, so I know it's been seven years of sobriety, but you gotta tack on the years of the, addiction and the wrestling through that and promises I'm going to get better I'm never going to do it again and then fail and then all that what did you learn about yourself in that process yeah yeah it, it, you said it just right it was a process of trying over and over and over and, and failing over and over and over of um, you know thinking that, that that something was wrong with me and that I was I, I was asking God the wrong way or um, that I had done something wrong and I, I couldn't fix it myself. And so um, what I learned about myself is, is in finally hitting rock bottom and, and, and asking for some help, um, I had to start doing some very intense self-exploration. And that's part of the, you know, the 12-step process is, is doing a personal inventory and looking at what's going on. Um, I, turns out I had no idea. I was an extremely angry person. Um, not a violently angry person, but... I thought I'd gotten the short end of the stick. I thought the government was was doing something wrong to me that um, you know, that God wasn't doing it the right way. I had uh, I had my own plans on how God should be doing this, um, how the scripture should have been written, how the gospel should have been written, and it it didn't meet my expectations, and so I was angry. Um, and then the second thing I learned that was really the most important is the difference between self will and God's will. An active addict tends to live in self-will. It's, um, it's, it's trying to muster up the willpower to stop over and over and over. Um, I'm taking the actions that God told me to take, that I think God told me to take, um, and then I'm trying to control the outcome, trying to um, you know, get sober, stay sober, and then manipulate all the outcomes that, so that everything meets my expectation. Uh, living in God's will is a completely different experience. It's taking the action, you know, it might, might even be the same actions I was trying before, but then getting out of the way and allowing God to handle the rest and let God's will be expressed in that emptiness. It, it basically be expressed through my absence. Get out of the way and let God work. So, he didn't call you to be a preacher? Because I'm like, you throwing down right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. I honestly don't really like this very much. <laughs> Second that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to buy her some nice steak dinner because every time I like ask her to do this. So, Jer, let's talk about what did you learn about yourself 
in your process of, of walking out your healing? So I learned um, that there was an inner strength inside of me that I didn't realize that I had. Um, I've always been kind of a behind the scenes and kind of, you know, I don't, you know, anyway, just kind of, just kind of timid almost a little bit. And so um, just didn't realize that I had this inner strength inside of me. And I remember as a little girl, um, my mom pointed me to the book of Esther, and I remember reading it over and over and over and over, and I was just so in awe of her boldness and her courage, and I wanted that in myself, and just over this journey, I have really um, sensed that in myself, just it, just beginning to rise up on the inside of me as I, as I have fought these battles and I have gone through all of this stuff. I really um, learned that about myself. Yeah, you're stronger than you think you are. Nobody yeah. need to hear that today. You're stronger than you think you are, and you're stronger than what the enemy would tell you you are. You're stronger than you think you are. So, Darren, second question. So, you know, it's a self-learning thing, but what'd you learn about God? Because there's some give and take, and there's some tussle in, in that. So, what'd you learn about God while he was working in you? Yeah, so, so I, I learned that God is going to work in his own time, without a doubt, and he's not going to work in my time, uh, but he's also going to not force his way into my life. I, I've learned that God wants a relationship with me, but he's not going to force that on me. I have to choose that. And, and that was, that's been really the biggest gift of recovery um, is allowing God to work in my life uh, and, and me giving him permission to because he's going to honor what I want. He will honor me saying, no, God, I, don't, I can do this by myself. I got this. Um, and he'll let me stumble over and over because he's, he's a faithful God. He you know, I would think, God, why don't you come in here and save me and protect me? Well, he's allowing me to go through what I need to go through to get back to him. You know, when we're kids and our parents at church finishing up conversations and we're ready to go, our parents are not in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing with God. God's not in a hurry, but we are. And we're impatient. And he's like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna get to Mazio's when it's time to get to Mazio's. So what did you learn about God walking through your process? Um, I really began to trust him, um, and that was a hard thing for me because of what I had been through. Um, I didn't trust anybody. I was always reluctant, and anytime someone spoke something, it was either you've got an agenda, you've got something, there's something there behind what you're saying. And so when he would say things to me, I would, would question, and just over the years of him, his resounding theme to me has always been, you can trust me, you can trust me. You can trust me. And he was, he, was, he was true to his word. And every time that he said, you can trust me, he was true to his word. And it came to pass. And um, I just really developed an intimacy with him and um, in our relationship that, um, that I didn't think was possible with, with person or with God or with anybody. And it has just really impacted my life in a big way. There are big moments in that journey, what you might call tipping points and this is what I've discovered about life. Big moments don't feel big. Now, the day we went to the hospital and Landon was born, that feels like a big moment. The day that we said, I do till forever, you, you kind of know there's a buildup to that. That's a big moment. But there are so many moments in our life that happen, and it's not till kind of the emotions cleared and you look back on it and you go, okay, wow. That actually was, was kind of a big moment. In your journey, Darren, what, what's one of those stories where it was kind of a tipping point that, wow, that was kind of a big thing? Uh, there, there's been so many over the last seven years. Um, the, the obvious one is hitting rock bottom. You know, that's, 
you, you know, when the gift of desperation was was given to me. But um, there's been yeah. a lot more subtle occurrence, like just events that have happened over the past seven years. Um, one would be when I first got over my fear of what you guys thought about me and started raising my hands back there behind the drums. Um, that was a that was a big moment. It was very subtle, but I had no idea that God was changing me through that action. I thought, you know, I'm not going to raise my hands. God's ego is not that fragile. He needs us to sit there and worship Him. Well, He needs me to have the vulnerability and the humility to do that, so He right. can work in my life. Um, so that was that's. You know, I thought of another one that I didn't talk about in first service, and that's when uh, Lindsay, I think I think it was probably my third year or fourth year chip, she came to the meeting and gave me my chip. Talk about a moment of healing. Um, you know, because the, the family of an addict goes through so much trauma and pain and betrayal um, that when she had reached a point where she could she could do that and stand in front of a room full of alcoholics, that she was probably pretty resentful of and hand me my third year chip and say, I'm proud of you. Ooh, that was a big deal. And, um, you know, just like Jerry doesn't get a, a chip for the work yeah. that she's done. You know, if you do see Lindsay, you, you know, give her a, a congratulations. The family of the alcoholic doesn't get the applause and the, and the chips and all that. So um, it, it's a big deal for the family. And, and, you know, it's a family issue. So the next time we see Lindsay, just give her a pat on the back, too. So, You had one recently, a couple yeah. of days ago, where, hey, how's your week going? And you just kind of told me this story right there. Yeah, so my, at, at work, we'd finished up the financial year and done our, our, our filing for audit. And that's a big deal. A lot of people put in a lot of time. So work took us out to a happy hour. And I avoided happy hours like you know, like the plague for the last seven years. Um, they're very uncomfortable, and uh, I feel like I'm missing out on something. You know, not so much anymore, but that's, you know, for a recovering alcoholic, when you're seeing everybody have a great time and not struggling with uh, with an addiction, you feel like you're getting the short end of the stick. So, but I, I decided to go, and uh, of course, we're about an hour into it, and everybody around me is feeling pretty happy, and the guy across from me, he spills his beer all over my lap and all over my shirt, and I just panic because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, Lindsay's going to think I fell off the wagon. Because <laughs> I, I, I hadn't smelled like that in a long time, and it brought up some shame. It brought up some guilt, uh, but some fear. And my boss, had he'd been with me through the entire experience. He, he was there when I went to treatment um, and, and helped me fill out all the paperwork and do all that. And he said, um, he's like, Darren, do you need me to call Lindsay and tell her that you know, you're not drinking? And I was like, you know, start dialing the number and just don't finish until I call you and tell you. Yeah. And, you know, it turns out I get home and it's no big deal. You know, God has done a work in the people around me so that trust is not such an issue. Um, that was, that's a big deal. That was, how, how do you trust somebody who's lied to you over and over and over and then they come home reeking of beer that was major. Oh, Isn't that crazy how God, God will use spear, spilled beer? I don't know that that was so much for you, but it was for Lindsay, is showing the healing that's taking place there, but also in your relationship. And that moment's just gonna grow through history. You know what I'm saying? So what about you? What's one of those big moments? So I was in a pretty dark place. I mean, there were many, many years of darkness um, that I can't even begin to describe. And 
I just remember one weekend, uh, Brent and I took a weekend and we went and stayed in Daisy at his mom's cabin. And um, I just remember feeling just super restless. And I was like, what is going on? Just a different, um, a different sort of discomfort, not, not necessarily the sadness that I was accustomed to, but just a, just, I was just restless. And so he was off doing something and I was sitting on the couch and and I just started praying, and I said, God, what is this? Like, what is going on? And he said, you have demonic attachments attached to you. And I'm like, what? You know, I, I, I mean, honestly, I was sitting there thinking, I have been a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I have, like, my whole life, I love the Lord. What do you mean? I mean, how did this happen? You know, and... So I just started wrestling through that. He came in the room, and I'm sitting there going, how on earth am I supposed to say, oh, this is what the Lord shared with me? And so he came in there, and, and I told him, I said, this is what I feel like God is saying to me. And so we got the Bible out, and I literally got up on top of the Word of God, and I stood up on it. And he placed his hand on top of my head, and he began praying, and he began declaring, and he began prophesying, and just speaking to that demonic and that darkness that was there. And um, I wish that I could say that in that moment that it all just instantly just, you know, got better and, and went away, but there were actually several more events that happened after that, that that kind of brought me to that place where I was like, I began to see that shift and I began to see um, just a brightness and a light and color. I know that sounds crazy, but I was like, I had been blind, and it was like I was seeing color for the very first time in my life. And so anyway, Somewhere in your journey, you dealt with some frustration with God too. And you said it one day, and actually as I was just kind of praying over verse 13, that came to my mind, and, and just out of frustration, like why won't he just fix this? Why won't he just take this? Because I read stories in the Bible about he healed the lame man, he healed the blind man. Darren, what would you have missed if God would have just... Taking that instrument. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've wanted God to just take it from me. I prayed over and over and over. Why don't you? Just, I, I know you can. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the process itself has turned into the richest seven years of my life of, of experience. You know, and by the way, I've been at Hillspring for about seven years. Coincidence? You know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I I. Believe me, I wouldn't have walked into a church like this. Yeah, he showed up an OU fan, too. Just point that out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, y'all. <laughs> um, but, you know, this wasn't my kind of church, and I wasn't going to walk in here. Um, thank God I did. And it was because I'd gotten to the point where, you know, I have to do something different. I'm going to try it. But I, you know, but then also going to the AA meetings. I've, I've got this new family. Um, of AA friends, but of also Hillspring friends. We have a small group that meets at our house every Sunday night. They're very close friends. They know my story. Um, I would have missed out on incredible relationships and, 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 and opportunities like this because, you know, you know, even though I don't like doing this, um, it's a gift to be able to do it. Um, when, when God is able, when I get out of my own way and let God use me, that's one of the best gifts I could ever be given. And, and I, if I would have just been healed instantly, I don't think I'd have walked in here. So. What about you? What would you have missed? Um, I feel like, um, and it was a hard battle. And honestly, I would go back and I would redo all of it. 
to experience what I have experienced today and the joy that I feel today. And um, I feel like I've fought some, um, some very deep battles that for generations to come, I have broken off those strongholds. I have broken those those things off of um, even my kids. I remember living in fear that my kids were going to be sad and depressed. And I remember even watching them when they were little and thinking, God, please don't let this happen to them. Please don't let them have to go through what I went through. And I look at Landon and I look at Kaylee and I'm telling you, if you have met either one of them, they are fully alive and they are fully joy. And I feel like that God has completely because of what I was willing to walk through, because of what I was willing to put myself through, he has freed them from that um, spiritual oppression and that darkness, and that they and their children and their children, they're gonna, they're gonna live free lives. And I'm just so grateful for that. So a couple of years ago, I just shared her story. Part of the message I just preached on, and I talked about attempted suicide going through Laureate that and uh, this is one of those moments that in the moment it happened it wasn't big and Kaylee was gosh maybe mm-hmm. seven or eight so and we're on 41st we're almost to the stoplight in Berry Hill and I mean yeah it's kind of a heavy thing you know and, um, out of the back seat her sweet little voice uh, she said mom I never knew you were depressed it's a big moment that's a big moment because there was years of wrestle and struggle and wrestle um, Darren, just kind of quickly, what would you say to someone who's stuck? I mean, you're at seven, you're maybe they're at one, or the most important chip's the first one. Or maybe, maybe they're at one month or, or whatever. What would you say to someone that's just, you know, they're kind of like, hey, yay for you, I'm just not there, and I'm still wrestling, and I'm still mad, and I'm still stuck in the process. Yeah, yeah that, that first year can be extremely difficult. Um, what, what I would say is, is find a support system of some kind. You know, it doesn't have to be AA. It doesn't, you, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, celebrate recovery, whatever it is. But find some people you can surround yourself with who've been through uh, something similar, and, and let them love you through the process. We we use the term love bomb a lot. Um, when I walked into the room, and believe me, at the house it wasn't good. You know, the, the it it was it was a painful place to be, and I couldn't love myself. Uh, so I found a place where I could be loved. So that's that would be the first thing I would suggest is find people uh, to support you. Uh, second is to start doing something different, even if it's a little thing, uh, getting on your knees and praying every morning. Um, spend some time in the Word every day. Those were things I just didn't do before. And even if nothing happens instantly, in doing those little things over and over and over, God is building up to something, and things will change in your life. They, they will change. And it might not be on your schedule, but just keep trying, keep doing. Uh, you know, al- alcoholics relapse in, the, in that first year a lot. Um, don't let that discourage you. It's part of the process. So, that's you. What would you say to somebody's stuff? The first thing I would say to you is um, learn to forgive yourself. Um, for me, that was a really hard thing because I dealt with a lot of shame and a lot of um, just feeling responsible somehow, even though I was a little girl when all of this happened to me, I still felt just a sense of responsibility about it. And um, I think learning to forgive yourself is such an important thing so that you can receive the love that God has for you and so that you can receive the love that people are trying to give to you 
on a daily basis because it's so hard. If you are holding that unforgiveness within yourself to receive anything that anybody has to give you, and secondly, I would say never get out of the fight. Don't give up. Just be desperate in your pursuit of your healing and just begin to just declare it over your life that God, I am healed. God, I have joy. God, I have wholeness. I am happy. And God, I have fullness of joy. God, I just declare healing over my children that they will not battle the things that I have battled. Just, just begin declaring those things over your life and don't listen to the lies of the enemy because he will lie to you and he will lie to you. That's all he's ever done is lie to me and put me down and tear me down. And I just, every time I just rise up and I say, you know what, I'm a child of God and he loves me. And I'm telling you, it is um, it just, it has deepened my relationship with God in such a way that I'm telling you, you, you have to, you have to pursue it. Don't give up. Just don't give up. You're preaching next week. I'm, I, I don't even... Thanks for coming. All right, what do you say for that? So Jerry was listening to a book by Christine Kane. If you're not familiar with her, she's from Australia, speaks with an Australian accent. She's like, you got to hear this story. And so, um, all right. And she is probably my best researcher. She's always shuffling stories like this. And then she's like, you haven't used that story yet. I know, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And so I was listening to this story, and it was about a farmer that um, raised butterflies. More of a cattle guy, but okay. Um, so he, he raised butterflies. He has a little young boy that worked for him. would kind of come help and clean up and, and do different things. And so the little boy wanted one of the cocoons. He wanted to go home and, and raise it on his own. And the farmer said, okay, you can, but you don't, you just let it happen. Don't, don't open the cocoon. Don't do anything. You just, you just let it happen. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've watched it. I've watched it. I got it, I got it. So, Little boy takes it home, and boy, he's just proud of it, and he watches. And sure enough, that cocoon starts to crack, and you start to see the tip of the butterfly come out. Man, he's just fired up and excited. It won't be long now because, you know, once it started, it's just going to happen. But there comes a point in that process of breaking out of the cocoon that it gets a little bit hard. And so when what happens is the butterfly actually, as it's pushing its way out of the cocoon, it's literally pushing the blood, if you will, through the wing. And it's what's causing the muscle in the wing to develop. And so it's the pushing through the cocoon that that blood makes its way into the wing and so that the wing can, can fully develop. And so the cocoon had just cracked just a little bit. And the boy was watching, the boy was watching, and the boy was watching. And it was a little bit like us. It got impatient. And his heart was really good. His heart wanted to help. He took a little bitty tweezers or whatever. And he didn't, he didn't rip the cocoon open. He just just a little bit. It just needs a little help. And so sure enough, the butterfly went ahead and opened up the cocoon and it just fell to the floor. He could never die. He could never fly. The cocoon's tough on purpose. The cocoon's hard. It gets to that point in the escape process that it's hard on purpose so that the blood will properly throw through all the wing and fully develop the muscles in the wing. And so the butterfly farmer knew it was time, you know, and he asked him, well, how, how, how'd it go? And he goes, I don't know. I, it, it just, I, don't, I don't know. It just kind of fell out and, and, and fell on the floor. You help it? I, I just, 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 just. A little bit. Don't despise 
process. Richest part of the journey. We'll do it all over again. Some of you today, you're stuck. You're mad at God too. Because you read about him instantly healing a lame man, and yet you still wrestle with depression. You read about him bringing a little dead girl to life, and your marriage is dead. Don't despise the process. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.